we had the whole thing planned. You know, it was we're going to be married a year. We're going to start expanding and try to conceive after a year because we don't want a child too soon. And then we're going to have a child probably after we've been married two years. And there you go, right? And it did not work out that way. It took us seven years to get to my daughter, Ayala. And the path was incredibly painful and stretched us in ways that I never could have imagined and was really challenging and really hard to survive. The first pass of it was, you know, just trying to conceive on our own and it not working and getting involved in some reproductive help. And we ended up doing six rounds of IVF. And IVF is not for the faint of heart. You're injections, pumping yourself full of medications. I was very responsive to a lot of the different hormones and the moods and trying to keep a full-time job and keep going with everything was really challenging. And the part that was the most crushing was you, I fundamentally believed in the science and I thought this time it's going to work. And you'd also try to figure out how do you keep yourself safe in case it doesn't work? You know, how do you not deal with that crushing blow of they've implanted, I've seen the embryo on the screen, I watched them put it inside of me, it's got a 10 rating, it's awesome, we're in, to then two weeks later checking every time you go to the bathroom, am I getting my period, am I not, am I getting my period, and then saying, oh my God, it didn't work. After six rounds of it, you can imagine we were just fried. And I remember saying to my husband initially, like, when are we going to know to stop? Like, at what point do you say this path won't work? And I feel like if I could just know that and know why and have a definitive answer, we could know when to move in a different direction, you know? And so when you've got those years of infertility and you've got those failed IVF cycles piling up and piling up and piling up, you over time you get comfortable with this concept of, well, what is our goal? Is our goal to have a family? Or is our goal for me to genetically see myself or my husband in a child? Like what part of reproducing is the piece that you're so connected to? And for us over time, we got really comfortable with, we just want to have children and we're not sure how it happens. And let's figure this out. And so after the final failed IVF cycle, they PGD tested the embryos. And what they found was that there was a chromosomal abnormality in the embryos. And so what they were doing is they were getting to 10 cells and then they were just dividing really strangely and weren't able to continue growing. They believed that was an egg issue, but they weren't totally positive. But when you look at our history and all these failed things, it just basically meant we need to look for another solution for eggs. At that point, we, we were just so exhausted and burnt out. And I think for me, I was kind of really angry at this idea that I don't get to genetically reproduce or I don't get to be pregnant. And even now, if I'm really honest, like when I see pregnant women, like there's a pang inside me of like, I didn't get to do that. But the irony is that, thank God I didn't get to do that because I didn't know I had my lung condition. But if I had been pregnant, it would have been a very bad thing. But anyway, at that point, we basically said, you know what, we're done with the science for a while. Let's go down the adoption path. And I remember really saying to my husband, you know what, if it's important to you, we can get a donor egg because my body isn't working right. Like, I don't want to deprive you of the potential to see yourself in a child. And we really talked about that long and hard because I wasn't okay with depriving him. And he basically felt like it wasn't the hugest thing 
for him and he was willing to move beyond that and let's go down the adoption path, which lasted about a year and was really agonizing. We landed in domestic. The way it works in the U.S. now is they're basically open adoptions. So you create a piece that talks about you as a family. It's a promotion piece almost to get a birth mother to want to have you parent her child. And so you go through all this with a social worker, you create your piece, and you have to figure out, like, how do I talk about us? And for me, I you know, was a working mom, but I was told, well, that's not very appealing. They want moms who are staying at home. And, oh, could you bump up that you want to bake cookies with the child and make, you know, and it was just, I kept thinking, this just is like I'm downplaying who I am and painting myself in a different way to appeal to these women that are so different than I am. And so we created the piece And then it's a numbers game. If a birth mom likes your piece as compared to the four others she sees, you then have a phone interview. If the phone interview goes well, you have an in-person meeting, you know. And so it just became this, you're constantly trying to get someone to believe that you will be great parents. And it's kind of a, a wild experience. And so what happened for us is we did find a woman who was interested. And so then you can imagine you go and you meet face to face and you're thinking, what do I wear? Do I wear more of like a mom dress? Do I put an apron on? Like, who am I? How do I make this work? You know, how do I? And then so there we are sitting opposite her. And at that point, you're really nervous. And the social worker is the moderator, the facilitator. And she starts by saying, okay, Danielle has given me the questions she wants you guys to answer. And I'm going to start with the first one, which is the child is 14. You catch them sneaking out of the house at night. What do you do? So there we are. We don't have even a baby. We know, I mean, how do, what do we know about a 14-year-old? How do you answer that question, you know? And so I found myself sort of stumbling and I said, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, if the child's 14, we have a history of years together and trust together and we can bring it up and we can talk about it. And also another question that came up was like, you know, I know you're Jewish. Will you have Christmas? And the uh, birth mother wanted a video every six months of the child, letters every month, you know? And I remember on the ride back from there saying to my husband like this is just too cruel a process for me and I think we need to go back to science and I think we need to get an egg donor so then we started down that path which is a whole long story but really amazing because what you're doing now is you're saying okay I actually have control and I can choose the genetic composition of this child. And then you start to get into crazy land, right? What matters to you? Is it physically, do they look like you? Or are there, you know, scholastic achievements? Do those matter? What about their interests? This one loves the arts. I love the arts. What do we love about ourselves and our values? And it almost in some ways makes you think you have more control, which is a wild thing. But there's so much more empowering because the supply and demand part of the equation is very different. Like there are a lot of women out there who want to do this. So you get to look at stuff. You get to review. You get to choose. There was a little part of me that thought, am I going to feel connected to my child because I'm biologically not in the mix at all? You know, it's like I'm not the egg and I'm not the environment that the egg grows in. And my answer definitively is my girls are my girls you know and I love them so much and I'm so connected to them and I couldn't imagine any other children except 
the two amazing, crazy bunnies that are ours. As harrowing as the first part of our journey had been with all the infertility and the IVF and then adoption, finding the gestational carrier, Marsha, and the grace of that was amazing because she from the start, really understood what we were embarking on together and was doing it from a place of really wanting to help us realize our dream. And so she would send me photos, but the photos would be just of her belly. You know, she really kept me involved in the pregnancy in a loving, kind way that just was amazing. And that's a really funny story because you, the way you find a carrier now is there's, you know, intermediaries that link you up with people and you get someone's bio and their information and it's a paper to look at there's not photos and things like that and you have to think about what matters to you you know does how they eat matter their religion matter where they live all these things and for us it really mattered like you know did she have healthy babies before did she have a good sense of nutrition and lifestyle and did she live local we had three things we cared about not a lot the first profile I got was Marsha's. I'm reading it and it's awesome. And I'm like, but she's in Arizona and we're in Massachusetts. It's crazy. It's a long plane ride. And the agency said, I know, I know, Sue, but she's just so awesome. I just think after hearing your story, I think you really need to talk to her. So we talked on the phone and I really fell in love with her. And the next step was you get someone to go there to check out the home and make sure, you know, it is safe and that she's not smoking and all these things are going on. And I thought, okay, I'll look into that, but I'm still not sold because she's all the way in Arizona. And it was almost like the moment that I had made that decision, suddenly a business trip cropped up out in Phoenix, right near where Marsha lived. And so I said, you know what? I'm going on this business trip. I'll meet her. I'll check it out. So I finished all my business meetings. I got in my rental car. I drove to Trader Joe's and I picked up some flowers. And there I am with my navigation system, you know, driving. And it's it could have been like another planet with all the huge cacti and just it, desert versus New England. Like I thought, oh my God. And here I am going to meet the potential person who will carry our baby. Like this is crazy. And I remember pulling up getting in there, Marsha opened the door and I just like went, oh, she seems great. She was there feeding her two-year-old and I watched her talk to her. And then all around like were these just beautiful pictures of her when she had been pregnant. And it turns out her favorite flower was a sunflower. Her favorite colors were purple and yellow. And I had brought sunflowers and purple flowers together. And I remember leaving and saying, this is just awesome. This is the right person and I can deal with the plane ride. Marsha is actually the godmother of Ayala, and she and her husband, Ben, and they have two daughters, Bella and Ryan, became their family now. It just was such a gift to have found her. You can imagine being in the delivery room with two sets of couples, and it was just like our whole experience has been, from start to finish, never how I thought it would go, and also never what I would have said I would have tolerated or wanted But once I let go, and every time along the way, it's about letting go of how you think something should be and saying, I'm just going to jump in with both feet and embrace what it is right now and stay open to it changing and evolving and see where it goes. The most amazing things happen. And our journey was absolutely beautiful. And how our girls came to us and the births and everything else was awesome. You know, does that mean that it wasn't hard? No. And does that mean there weren't things that were really crazy? And if you'd said, can you survive them? Can you navigate them? I would have said no, but you do. And it's amazing.